Welcome. 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 Welcome to Baseball Mainly. Baseball Mainly. Baseball Mainly. Baseball Mainly. Welcome to Baseball Mainly. Are we on already? It's a Tuesday again. How about that? Welcome to Baseball Mainly. Happy to be back. Uh, having fun with my buddies, Corey, Sir Patrick Stewart. Just going to go with that. So it's, we're, one. we're in the offseason. I don't get a title. I don't, I'm not a batting coach. Well, or, you know, the Tigers have made a bunch of changes. You sure you weren't included? I'll have to check my emails and my text messages, but I'm pretty sure they did not call me up. Our favorite catcher, Lance Parrish, has moved uh, into the front office type position where Good. he's going to be traveling around uh, doing some scouting, some coaching, mm-hmm. some helping. Yep. With his buddy Trammell and uh, the rest of the crew, probably still Al Kaline. And, I think that's smart. And Willie Horton and yeah. crew. I, boy, if you could put all those guys together in their prime. <laughs> we would have won a World Series. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, you know, Parrish, uh, Gibson, Trammell, those uh-huh. guys are all doing that now. Yep. And, uh, and in their prime, they were together, and they were magnificent exactly and also with us today of course is uh, ethan the statman pearlman yeah and i'm actually just saw an article from the detroit free press talking about the tigers future and how alex fiedo may be the most important piece mm. I, well you know he was a number one draft choice for them a yeah. couple years ago yeah. maybe three years ago now mm-hmm. he pitched uh was it miami uh, Florida. 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 Yeah, I mean, it was that. someplace warm. Yeah. <laughs> Over the year. I mean, he was on that national championship yeah. team. So. Yeah. Yeah, it can't be a slouch and do that. No. No. And with us today also in the studio is a friend from, uh, a baseball friend, a friend from Fantasy Camp, uh, a revered author, at least in my world, Chuck Helpy. Welcome, Chuck. Good to have you here today. I've been called a lot of things, but a revered author. Uh, that's a first. So thanks, Jess. You are among uh, my friends, and we'll talk about your book in a little while here. But uh, first, we're going to get to uh, our standard feature here of this day oh. in baseball <laughs> history. Yeah, so back in 1986, uh, Roger Clemens joins Denny McLean to become only the second pitcher to win the American League Cy Young Award unanimously, capturing all 28 first-place votes. Yeah, well, the year I was born. Yeah, I don't so, remember it. <laughs> <laughs> ten years before. Ten, yeah, ten years before I was oh, born. Oh wow! So. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, guys. Um, despite all his foibles, uh, Danny McLean was lights out that year. Mm-hmm. And he, it was he wasn't like he pitched perfect games. He'd give up a home run or two. It was always with nobody on base. And it was usually to center field. Yeah. I mean, the guys didn't get around mm-hmm. on him. No. Yeah. And uh, Roger Clemens, uh, to me, was kind of like uh, Jack Morris here in Detroit. Mm-hmm. You weren't going to dig in against him. No. You know, they were out of the Bob Gibson kind of vein where man, you, you're going to crowd the plate, they're going to pay for it. <laughs> yep. and, I'm, and they're going to be tough that you're not going to dig in. Nope. Those guys were good. I uh-huh. mean, that's, that's baseball. It is. You know, it isn't about trying to hit somebody, but it's it's sending sending a message. Yes. Yeah, I'm competing. You figure. Not throwing behind them. What else happened? 2007. 2007. We have the closest election since 1980 when the current current voting method was initiated. Uh, that Baseball Writers Association selected Ryan Braun over Troy Tulowitzki in a mark for the National League Rookie of the Year. <sighs> Ryan Braun, not a. Uh... Not a positive role model. 
Not sadly. Well, back then he kind of was before everything yeah. came out about the PEDs and all that nonsense. But uh, uh, he apologized. Oh, okay. <laughs> I do have to say I have a very, very, very uh, unique Ryan Braun baseball card from the Jewish Sports Hall of Fame because wow. you know he's such a uh, one of the fa- more famous Jewish baseball players. That's great. Yeah. Ooh. Oh well, there aren't, and be... there aren't many. But no. we had a we had a great one here in Detroit a little before my time. A guy named Hank oh, Greenberg. Yeah. Oh, Greenberg. And we, and we had two recently in uh, Ian Kinsler and uh, Brad Osmus. Oh, did not know that. So well, we only needed eight more for Minion. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and and a few years back, uh, it later became the manager of the Phillies before they fired him this year, Gabe Kapler. Yeah. Oh, Kapler. Yeah. So, yeah. And not a lot of Jewish guys in the big leagues. Nope. So uh, they kind of stick out because yep. uh, well, we'll take you're going to point out who they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll take them when we can get them. Yeah. And now jumping ahead to 2012, Mike Trout. Uh, wins the Rookie of the Year unanimously, surpassing Lou Whitaker by three months and five days to become the youngest American League player to be honored with the award. Well, as much as, uh, you know, I've actually stopped listening very much to the MLB Network, especially when Brian Kenny's on, because he's such a slappy for Trout that I've started actually looking at Trout. Mm Mm-hmm. The guy's had a fantastic career already. Yeah. If he just had some players around him who could actually perform. And it's mainly been pitching out there in, yeah. in California. Yeah. It's, um, but the guy's amazing. Yes. And, and he seems to be, he seems to have a great image. Kind of like the face of baseball really right like. now. Yeah. I mean, he is. I, f- I feel like after Trout decides to career ends, I feel like, you know, remember when Derek Jeter, everybody tipped his cat? Cap to the captain, and I know this that C doesn't stand on on Trout's you know jersey, but uh, I feel like we're gonna have to tip our caps to Trout even if he doesn't win the World Series. I mean, he he has really shown that he plays baseball the right way. He's kept his nose clean. He's a great teammate. You know, he makes a lot of money, and his home runs are undoubtable. So and, and, and he yeah. resigned with the Angels on somewhere else. Yep. So uh, you know and that. I realize it's business, and the guys could mm-hmm. go other places. But sure, it says something to the fans, don't you think? Well, gorgeous that weather I, every I, year. Well, and, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you want to be with a winner, don't sure, you? Sure, you do. You do. My goodness, I'd play in Minnesota if I could play with a winner. Yeah, you know, I, I can't believe that we didn't build a stadium that was enclosed, and that Minnesota didn't. Well, a well, little bit of interesting. <laughs> Uh, factorial that they actually built Comerica to actually possibly have a roof mm-hmm. over it someday. Yep. They did actually. They when they built it, they said possibly one day we could actually build a retractable roof on top. I don't know how that would do for the city because I love looking out from like you know first or second you know first mm-hmm. or third you know baseline and looking over and seeing the buildings kind of coming up out from you know outfield and then you know just seeing the blue sky and. That sun hits you when you're sitting over and uh, you know near the bullpen. But I, I, I've always loved Comerica. Well, as day, soon as it was day built. games in the summer are rough there because yeah. the sun is tough in those seats. There, there's very little cover. Oh yeah, and you know we start in end of March. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. and it's you know it snows. Burr. But we but we always tend to start on the road for at least a few days. Sure. So we give yeah, like we give Tampa. the great we give Mother Nature an opportunity to you know kind of. 
change it change up. Change it up. Yeah. yeah. Well. Well, let's change it up here for just a second. <laughs> we have a, we're very thankful to have uh, sponsoring us today, Century Mortgage Lending. Uh, great, great lender. I can tell you from experience, uh, they, they do a, a fantastic job. It's not a lot of hassle. Give them, give them the documents you need to get this done. You know, you know, having been in the mortgage business for a long time, I know what a hassle it can be trying to get a loan underwritten. But they seem to really have it together know what they're doing. Elizabeth, Paul over there, both very good. They're at 248-258-4977. Go look for a new house. Get pre-approved. Refinance what you have now. Lower your rate. Rates aren't going to stay down here forever. No. Of course, we've been saying that since 1981. They've been coming down. Uh, they're an MLS number, 134525. That's CenturyML.com if you want their website, 248 248- 258-4977. Mentioned you heard them on baseball mainly, and uh, they might be able to do you for no cost. Mm. Of course, if you don't mention us, they still have a no-cost loan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Century Mortgage Lending, 248-258-4977. Well, we were talking about that Mike Trout being Rookie of the Year. Yep. What about the rookies of the year, uh, Chuck? Do you uh, do you follow baseball still? Yeah, I do. Um, I don't follow it quite as closely as you guys, obviously, but um, <laughs> you're giving us a lot of credit. <laughs> well, I have to because you know this is a tough year, I think, for baseball fans in Detroit overall. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing the uh, team the way it is and the disarray that it's been in, the lack of talent that we have. You kind of look for other things to do during the sure. summer um, to take your mind away from that because, uh, you know, all of us grew up as big Tiger fans. Uh, we've spent a lot of time at Comerica Park. Mm-hmm. I remember being at uh, Tiger Stadium a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. Went to see the Senators when they played at Griffith Stadium and then RFK. Wow. And, uh, you know, baseball's just been part of my family for sure. generations. Yeah, in that's fact, awesome. My um, father and my uncles played ball at Cooley High School with Mike Illich. How about that? There's a little bit of a family connection. That's really cool. (laughs) But getting back to Rookie of the Year, um, you know, we saw some great talent coming up. I don't think anybody really had the um, meteoric season that uh, Aaron Judge had a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, That that one just stood out above all others. But uh, what what are you guys looking for in the way of your favorites this year? Well, um, you know. They've come out and in the American yeah. League. You got, you got uh, how do you say his name? So we got Jordan Alvarez. I always want to say Jordan, and he was the unanimous choice in the American From League. The Houston Astros. Well, yeah, yeah, three thirteen batting average. And the, these numbers are at. these numbers are through eighty seven games played. Wow, these were his numbers through eighty seven games. I believe that was the least amount of games played by. Any person in the top three of the uh, rookie of the year voting. Hmm. So did you still give it to him? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. I mean, those are great <laughs> numbers for 87 games. Yeah. He had 27 home runs, yeah. 26 doubles, 78 RBI. That's pretty amazing. Of course, he his, struck out 94 times. <laughs> I mean, he struck out 94 times, but he walked 52. Yeah, that's for for, walks a, for good. a rookie. I, I'll take that. If you yeah. can provide me 27 home runs, drive in almost 80 guys in 87 games, and still get on base with 52 walks and mm-hmm. over a 1,000 OPS, 106.7, yeah. pretty good. Did they did they point out in the World Series though? He went through a 
bit of a power outage toward the end of the season, which yeah. I think is even more amazing that he put up those kinds of stats mm-hmm. and then yeah. went through a period where he didn't hit anything. Nothing. Yeah. But, I mean, overall, not really sure what his minor league totals were like because for a guy, I believe he's 22, he may not have you know ever had a season where he's had to play 80, 90 games in a year because um, I'm looking at his stats right now. I'm not actually seeing any minor league stats, so I don't know if he was an international signing. Mm. Yeah, and, and no doubt he was playing in a league outside the country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys play in the Dominican. Mm-hmm. Or they used to play a lot in yeah. Venezuela. I bet that's not happening. No. Well, when you, got, when you got a supporting cast like, you know, Springer and Altuve and, uh, you know, yeah. it's kind of hard to kind of not pitch to I might hit get a to pitch. a rookie. I might because, get a pitch to hit with right. those guys batting around me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to try to strike out the rookie. Welcome to the big leagues. That You know, sneak him off the plate like how we were talking a little yeah, bit okay. before. Like, yep. you know, backing him off. It's pick but your poison. Pick though, your right? poison. And that, yeah. and that division was not great with pitching. I mean, and, uh, I mean, his home runs were not gimme home runs. No, These no. These were mammoth shots. I yes. believe he put one into the third upper First deck. First time ever. He's in, a big uh, man. In Minute Maid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what about the National League? So I like this guy. Yeah, Pete the Polar Bear Alonzo <laughs> uh, was listed in first place on all ballots but one. So he fell one first place vote shy of also being a unanimous. That was oh. some writer that he from, ticked it, off. It was, a, it, was a, it was a writer <laughs> from Atlanta, happens. actually, who put the Atlanta player first. Of course. And Pete Alonzo See, second. There's just so much bias. Um, but Alonzo did lead all Major League Baseball in home runs this year with 53, and he broke Aaron Judge's record of 52 home runs in a rookie season and made it 53. Mm-hmm. So he put up great numbers. The only thing that sticks out is 183 strikeouts, but um, I'll take 53 home runs, 120 RBIs, and still hitting with an OPS of 941. Sheesh. That's pretty good. Uh, that's real uh, good. It made me. It made me look at my favorite player. You guys know what number I wear? Twenty-five. Do you know why? You know why? Because Darren McCarty. <laughs> <laughs> no, Norm Cash. Oh yeah, yeah. Norm Cash in 1961 came over here. I think from Cleveland. S- uh, uh, hit uh, 361, 41 home runs, 132 RBI. He was first in batting average, third in RBI in in the, in the big leagues, uh, second in walks, number one in uh, on base percentage, number two in slugging, and number one in OPS. Wow. We need a few more Tigers like that today. Oh, definitely. And you know, I've been to fantasy camp with, with that's where I met Chuck. And at fantasy camp, guys, a lot of guys wear six. For some guy that played here, I forget his name. I think it was Caline or Alkaline or something. Yep. And then there's that guy, Norm Cash. You're a lot of 25s down there. <laughs> a lot of 25s. <laughs> and when when I came to play in MSBL, everybody wore We were the Tigers, so we wore our stuff from Fantasy Camp. Yep. We had six guys on the team that were number 25. <laughs> <laughs> and, and four or five that were number six. Yeah, right. So it was hard to tell who was batting if you were on the number other team. Number six. I digress. 
So we have we have a very special person with us today, as I mentioned, uh, Chuck. And um, I want to get to your book. I, this book's been out since 2010. Correct. We're gonna we're gonna run that. We, yeah, we we actually want to run the video of the of the, the book. promo. Yep, the promo oh. before we get into talking about it. So without further ado, let's show that promo. November 22, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was shot and killed in Dallas, Texas. Less than 90 minutes later, Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested and charged with the murder of the president. I, uh, I don't know what this is all about. Were you in the building at the time? Naturally, if I work in that building, yes, sir. Back up, man. Come on, man. I'm just a party. 48 hours later, while in police custody, Oswald was silenced forever. On September 24, 1964, the United States government officially declared President John F. Kennedy was killed by a lone gunman. The case was officially closed. The investigation into President Kennedy's murder was over. On March 29, 1979, the United States government changed its position. Over 15 years after the tragedy that shook the nation, the government declared President John F. Kennedy was probably killed as the result of a conspiracy. A second gunman was probably involved. However, no conspirators were identified, and no second gunman was ever named. The gunman on the grassy knoll is now ready to tell his story. Kennedy must be killed. And that's the name of the book, Kennedy Must Be Killed. You know, I only know Chuck from Fantasy Camp. And he is like the mayor of fantasy camp. Right? <laughs> He's the guy that makes sure everybody. He, he goes around, makes sure everybody's feels welcome to be there. You know, really like this is Jerry Lewis's gig. Mm -hmm. But Chuck has been with Jerry at all these fantasy camps, and you know, I remember being there, and he's, hey, come on, we're going over to the Tiki Lounge, which is somebody's hotel room, mm -hmm. <laughs> that where there's always something going on. Uh, uh, people are hanging out in the lounge at the restaurant, they're singing karaoke. Uh, you're on the ball field, and, and, you know, you make a good play, and they congratulate you, and you look like an idiot, and they congratulate you. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it, it, and so I, I've always uh, appreciated that about Chuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'd go out, and back then, when I was eating beef, we'd go and have a steak at a place called the Red Barn, and then later at, uh, what was the other restaurant? Texas Cattle Company. Texas Cattle Company there in Lakeland. So it was all, you know, just really wonderful. So I hear Chuck wrote this book. I'm like, okay, he wrote a book. I, I know this guy. He's probably not great. <laughs> <laughs> but I got a copy. 
And I've always been interested in the assassination of President mm-hmm. Kennedy because it happened in my lifetime. Yeah. It's one of those moments, probably maybe like you guys, I don't know if this works for you guys, the Challenger disaster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. significant. But even so, it's it's as significant. I mean, it's as significant in history. But, I mean, we grew up, I mean, at least I did, learning about the Kennedy assassination. And it, 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 it still carries as much yeah. weight as it did, you know. Throughout the years and decades, I mean, if if the, you got to be living under a rock or just not really, I was going to say what, if we didn't learn about the Kennedy assassination, the other main one they always mm. talked about was MLK. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, but yeah. those American history, those are the two that I think are still Stand taught out. heavily. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had f- four presidents that were assassinated, mm-hmm. and Kennedy was the last one, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's a great book. So Chuck. Um, you know, I read it, and I it had me in the first chapter, because the first chapter is about how it happened, and then you go back into the the history of it. Uh, and as we saw in the video, the Warren Commission concluded there was no conspiracy, Correct. and then later they concluded there was. And to me, it's like Pete Rose writing a book. In his first book, he didn't bet on baseball. In his second book, he did. We're all thrilled to hear what happens in the third book. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Hall of Fame yeah. or no? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, that'll forever be a debate because he's not going to get in. Mm-hmm. Not until Shoeless Joe Jackson does. Yeah. yeah, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, tell us tell us about the book. How did you come to write this book? Which, by the way, for anybody listening or viewing. It's a great book. I'm, Thank you. I, I'm telling you, I was. There's so much information in this book that I just figured was a novelization because it is a novel, but it's a, a an historical novel, right? It's historical nonfiction, and the toughest thing about the book was trying to create something that wasn't um, a textbook, so to speak but also had a chance to integrate into the story a number of different elements that people hadn't really considered or thought about. Because back when the assassination occurred or just before it occurred, John F. Kennedy was not particularly popular. Mm -hmm. Um, There are parts of the country in which he was absolutely reviled. And yet after the assassination, the entire country came together in its grief, and nothing negative was published about him for decades, if ever. The reason he went to Dallas was to try and try and get some positive reinforcement from Texas. Correct. Yeah, the reason LBJ was his vice president is he needed those votes in the South. He did. And the South was a turmoil of uh, hatred and anger over some of the policies of the um, Kennedy administration. But it wasn't only that. Uh, We had a lot of things going on throughout the world because this was a period of great transition after World War II. And Mm -hmm. the book actually starts in the period immediately after the end of World War II, where my um, uh, hero or protagonist, uh, Patrick McCarthy, was too young to serve in World War II but wanted to serve his country. He was extremely patriotic, as most Americans were back uh, in that particular time. So he goes to Washington, D.C. and gets a job as a congressional aide Mm. and begins to interact with all these people that we've come to know throughout history. But the um, amazing thing about his journey is his patriotism never wavered. And part of it was because of the tremendous shock that this country had encountered 
after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Um, we were now entering the nuclear age as a mm-hmm. result of uh, ending the war with Japan. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people in this country, particularly in the military, that were very, very concerned about the next Pearl Harbor being nuclear. Yeah. And that paranoia, if you want to call it that, permeated society as Jess and I were growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we remember having um, air raid drills when we were kids. Hide under your desk. Hide under your desk. You know, duck and cover. Mm-hmm. I was living just outside Washington, D.C. in Arlington uh, back in the early 60s. My dad worked for Bobby Kennedy in the Justice Department. Wow. And I got to attend John Kennedy's inauguration. I uh, got to attend his funeral. But we had a lot of people in the um, neighborhood that were associated with the government in many different um, uh, areas. Sure. And one of the things that is most amazing about Washington is there really aren't any secrets. If you live in Washington, everybody knows what everybody else does. And being out here in the Midwest, we don't always realize just um, uh, how compartmentalized that society is in Washington. But I remember being in elementary school, and I had one of my classmates come up to me and says, Hey, Chuck, what do you hear this? My dad works for the CIA, and he's on a secret mission to Pakistan, and nobody's supposed to know. <laughs> and so they go, well, then, why'd you tell me? <laughs> like in fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really hard to keep secrets when you have families. Sure. And the mm-hmm. kids are interacting with other kids, and everybody's kind of telling, well, you know, what's going on you know, in your way of life, that type of thing. So Washington at the time was um, uh, quite a place to grow up. My brother's best friend was a little kid by the name of Billy Lemnitzer. And Billy's uh, father was a colonel in the Army, but his grandfather was General Lyman Lemnitzer, who was head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Wow. And Billy actually brought his grandfather to show and tell in second grade. <laughs> full military uniform. Now, how many people have a memory like that? <laughs> the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, second yeah. most powerful military man in the country, uh-huh. showing up at second grade show and yeah. tell in his uniform. That's incredible. That's he also, incredible. He also had a kid on his uh, Little League baseball team, Lyndon Carter, who was uh, Lyndon Johnson's godson. And Cliff Carter was Lyndon Johnson's right-hand man. Back in the day, they didn't call him chief of staff, but that's the title he would have had today. Mm -hmm. And I can remember uh, being in the um, championship game of the Little League with my brother um, playing on uh, Optimist for uh, Arlington County. And they're going up against a team, I think it was Arlington Motors. Lyndon's pitching as a star pitcher in the team, but he runs out of innings, as often happens in Little League. Mm -hmm. So... They wave in my brother to come in and pitch. Well, my brother never pitched, but we also always played baseball constantly growing up. I got so nervous, I jumped out of the grandstands. I was 10 years old. Jumped out of the grandstands, just kind of calmed down. Who do I see under there but Cliff Carter? Chain smoking cigarettes because he's too nervous to watch a little game. <laughs> this is the right hand man to the president of the United States, Lyndon Johnson. And uh-huh. he's so freaked out by a little league team and the pressure involved with that. You're sitting there going, Well, how does he counsel the president yeah. on the Soviet Union oh my and gosh. some of the other threats yeah. we're dealing with? But and and I, in those days, you know, uh, during the Kennedy administration, we had the new, the missile crisis yes. with, with Cuba. You talk about that in the book. I just remember that vividly. And I was, you know, I was like eight or nine years old. And I remember teachers talking about it. It was and a frightening worried time. about us. Yeah, it was truly frightening time. We were living at ground zero. And so I was You're talking about in Washington. Washington. I I 
read a lot of books as a kid growing up. We didn't have a TV set that worked particularly well, so we spent a lot of time at the library. And I was one of the earliest, first kids to get an adult uh, library card at Darlington uh, County's uh, libraries because I was always in the um, adult section of the library picking out books. So I knew about how long it would take a missile to uh, hit Washington from Cuba. And I knew that there wasn't going to be a lot of time to uh, evacuate. Yeah. So you just kind of take a um, an attitude that, well, let's hope it doesn't happen. But if it does, you know, we're not going to mm-hmm. realize it. Sure. I was also in charge of the safety patrol at the time, and we were running drills to evacuate the elementary school to an apartment building three blocks away, and you know, have everybody hide down in the basement in the bomb shelter. Well, I knew that by the time we had evacuated the building, we'd all be. You know, nuclear dust. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's so. incredible. Well, you talk about you talk about the missile crisis in your book, mm-hmm. and you go way back. You talk about Kennedy being elected to Congress. You talk about profiles and courage, how his book sales went. You talk about uh, Nixon, Hoover, Johnson. Uh, even talk about uh, Sam Giancana, who is implicated at least in a lot of theories in the assassination. Uh, all these things are woven together in a really cool way. Well, uh, we're going to take a little break from this because we have a special guest on the phone with us, one of, another one of our sponsors, uh, Mr. Scott Green, who I think is playing baseball these days. What's going on, Scotty? Three for three, seven RBIs, baby. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're, you're, hit, you're hitting that 55-mile-an-hour cheese, huh? I uh, know. It's even slower than that. I'm, <laughs> I'm playing my age, finally. I, I'm, I'm literally driving to Dodgertown to sign the contracts for our April event. Nice. We can go back to the previous conversation because I am a mammoth Lyndon Johnson fan. And... Uh, just saw the uh, thing at play at Lincoln Center about uh, LBJ, the Great Society. So Lyndon Johnson's my favorite president of all time. And I think had it not been for Vietnam, would have ranked in the top three presidents in our history. Hmm. Um, but unfortunately, that was uh, a killer for his uh, legacy. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott, we're we're talking with Chuck Helpy here, who's from who has been one of the key proponents of the Detroit Tiger fantasy camp. And I know that you have a fantasy camp uh, uh, World Series type event coming up next year. And uh, we'll yep. want you guys to get connected and maybe uh, figure out how we can get a team there. But, uh, well, I think John John Wharton sent me an email that we're going to get a team together and come there. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, uh, Chuck has written a book called Kennedy Must Be Killed, and it's about the assassination of President Kennedy all the players that were involved and it's a it's a i call it a historical novel it is a novelization with a lot of historical events in it and it's uh, well worth the read uh actually i went when we had the event in texas in september at arlington i went to the dealey sixth floor museum and uh i have to be totally honest and not to rock the boat here but I don't see any conspiracy theory whatsoever. It was an easy shot for one man in that window. It was right below him, and uh, I'm going to stick with that, unfortunately. Sorry. Well, uh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> uh, that, that's okay, too. But uh, in case you didn't know, in 19, was it 1984, uh, the uh, 
the Committee on Assassinations? 79. 79. Uh, uh, determined there was a conspiracy. That's the official position of the U.S. government at this point. But let's move on. Tell us what's <laughs> going on. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's going on with you? Where are you playing? Um, I'm playing in the um, MSBL Fall Classic at both Roger Dean and the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. Playing with the uh, Long Island Yankees in the 60 and over division. And uh, we're 2 and 1. Uh, we beat a team pretty bad today. Uh, they just didn't have a lot of good players. So the 3 for 3 and the 7 RBIs is not something I'm really going to be too proud of. But it will be on Facebook later. Um, <laughs> so it's. I'm heading. Uh, I'm in the car heading up to 95, the Vero Beach right now. The contract is waiting uh, for me to be signed, and we're gonna take some pictures for our event next April uh, uh, for the Palm Beach Classic. We'll move up there for one session. Well, and if somebody wants to be part of the Palm Beach Classic, they need to go to playattheplate.org, right? That's it, and uh, we'd love to see a Tigers team at the Fantasy Camp World Series in Dyersville, Iowa, at the Field of Dreams. See if someone can beat the Rockies team. Oh, that's no problem. <laughs> okay, I'll tell him you said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I'm, who knows? I might show up there. If I can still uh, the Field walk, of Dreams, is, and I will tell you that I'm going to continue with that program, but it might be the last time for a while for Field of Dreams. It's just, it's a lot to do for me, to yeah. be honest with you. you got to drive it, and it's uh, its a lot of work. I don't mind doing it, but I might give it a rest after this year and <clears throat> maybe go do back to Roger Dean in October for uh, another World Series Fantasy Camp event. So, But it's a great time, and you should play at the Field of Dreams if you never have. Cool. I, <clears throat> I highly recommend it. Because I haven't been there yet, and you know, maybe maybe we can make a deal, Scott. I'm sure we can. <laughs> <laughs> For me, full price. Full price. Of uh, course. <laughs> no, actually, double. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was in Mexico once, and a guy says, "Come into my shop for you, almost free." <laughs> yeah, which Matt probably did charge me double. Yep. Well, uh, what did you think of the uh, the Rookie of the Year choices? Um, well, Pete Alonzo was pretty, <clears throat> you know, I didn't see how that was. That, that was a no-brainer. And I have to be honest, who, I, I didn't even pay attention to who won the American League. I'm sorry. Jordan Alvarez from the Houston um, Astros. I could call, I guess. I mean, it's. I don't know who else is really in the running. Uh, finishing in third was Brandon Olau of the Tampa Bay Rays. And yep. uh, I don't even remember who finished second. That, <laughs> that's that's how that, that, that yeah. shows how uh, yeah. the name doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. Well, and so you're on your way to Vero Beach right now. Yep. And I understand it's a beautiful facility. So if well, MLB has taken it over, and that was it took a long time to get a contract because you had to go through Major League Baseball. So Major League Baseball has taken it over. It's technically it's the Jackie Robinson Training Complex. The stadium field and stadium, I believe, have been redone. I think they're going to redo the other fields. Um, I'm going to check out the bungalows to stay in. Uh, so I'm very excited. It's a, it's a nice, nothing like playing baseball and then hopping in the car and. Don't want to talk about baseball and 
head back down and taking a couple of general managers from uh, Palm Beach out for dinner tonight. So it's a nice day for me. Well, are you heading back to New York soon? Yeah, I think the weather's going to get pretty bad here tomorrow and Thursday. And if it does, this might have a premature end to it. So I got to drive back up. I got those little grandchildren just missing their grampy. <laughs> well, you know, we only had 10 inches at my house last night. So, mm-hmm. and it's hey. heading your way. Yeah, I heard I'm uh, really missing. It seems to me every time I come down here that uh, <laughs> it snows or bad things happen up there. And then when I get back, it's 59 degrees. I mean, it's just the, the Scott Green life. Well, Scott, uh, we're going to let you go because I know you're on the road and we don't want to distract you. But we're going we're gonna to go. I hit you two up. people just now. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Six points. <laughs> well, you're probably driving too yeah. fast. Uh, I'm, I'm past that point, Jess. All right. I'm now a hit and run driver <laughs> and driving north on 95. So. We uh, are in Florida. It doesn't take much to run into people down there. Uh, apparently, it doesn't. <laughs> and at your age, you're still a youngster in Florida. Yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not kidding. I look better than two thirds of the state, but I, and I don't look good. So. <laughs> well, Scott, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate your calling in. That's playattheplate.org. And we're gonna we're gonna run your spot right now. So have a great trip. Thanks, Be careful Jeff. and uh, good luck. Would you like to play some baseball? You still dream of playing on a major league field, experiencing the magic of places like Field of Dreams? For 15 years, Play at the Plate has been making dreams come true. Play at the Plate offers you the chance to play ball. Join us for a lifetime experience. Go to playattheplate.org or call Scott Green at 631-255-4475. That's 631-255-4475. Yeah, that's six three one whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, going, I'm old. I can't remember all those numbers. Well, we uh, do, we do have another event that we have to let the people know oh, about. This is a big deal. This is a big deal, and it comes courtesy of um, labels and logos, and it's the Sne- Michigan Sneaker Exchange with mm-hmm. an X. Yep. Uh, the host of that, Juan Neal, Jake Schreier, and Julian Evans means of labels and logos and Loose Cannon Flagship are going to be hosting the Michigan Sneaker Exchange at the TCF Center on December the 7th, also formerly known as Kobo. Yep. Uh, vendors from around the state will be in attendance swapping sneakers and showing off the latest trends in fashion. Once again, that's December 7th at the TCF Center, formerly known as Kobo. It will go from noon to 6 p.m., $20 admission online or at the door. For tickets and tables, visit Michigan Sneaker Exchange. That's Michigan Sneaker Exchange with an X dot com. Okay. At TCF, it just doesn't sound right. You know that stands for Twin Cities Federal. Oh, I did not a, a know. Very that. well respected savings bank yes. in its day. I imagine it's just a regular bank now. I don't know, but. Uh, but people are going to call it Kobo. Yeah. People are going to call it. It's yeah, Detroit. It's, it's, you know, I'm, you know. I'm waiting for a place to be called the Aflac Center. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can just imagine, you know, the sound bite of the Aflac duck going on and on. That would be great on. if the Fords get bought out and then they change it to <laughs> no. the Aflac 
field. No. Affleck fear. Well, you know, that. we still a lot of people still call Comerica Tigers. I do. Yeah. I, well, yeah. it took a long time. I remember mm-hmm. when I we went to one of the first games at Comerica, and Wasn't uh, my dad. Like 2000, 2000, yeah, 2000. And uh, yeah. I remember my dad getting arrested for scalping tickets. He's not gonna <laughs> like me so much for saying that on air, but. <laughs> well, now now you can make a whole business out of it. Of course you can. StubHub. Yeah. Yeah, stu- yeah, yeah, that's basically just online scalping, but. Uh, uh, have you been by the old Tiger Stadium site lately? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, those condos are up. It's fantastic. It's looking beautiful. Uh-huh. It's, uh, Some of those condos are still available for rent if you can afford the uh, the asking price. Think well, about that though. <laughs> stepping out off, like you know, yeah. out of your it's condo beautiful. on into a field, and you know, yeah. I, I would love it. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, you know, as long as I could play every day, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'd be worth it. You wouldn't get anything done, would you, if you lived on a baseball field? No. <laughs> Uh, you know that's kind of kind of something I could get into is being mm-hmm. a groundskeeper. I think I'd enjoy that. Oh, groundskeeper Jess. Yeah. Do you, you remember Herbie the groundskeeper? From oh Tiger yeah, Stadium? Herbie Redmond. Her, oh. Herbie had this whole routine that he would use in between. Uh, I think it was the seventh inning, but uh, he was he would dance around the infield mm-hmm. pulling his broom yeah. and became quite national celebrity. It was yeah. it was part of the allure of the game. It was. Him and uh, then later the the hot dog guy whose name I don't remember. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, yep. Mm-hmm. I was there. I think I think I was working at Comerica the year he got fired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a shame because it was it, that was part of the game to me. I loved that. Yeah. Was yeah. it over ketchup? Yeah. It was over something very very stupid. Yeah. Something yes. like you wouldn't give them ketchup. Why would you put ketchup, ketchup on, on a hot dog? Side? Well, let me ask you a question, Chuck. Sure. Ketchup or mustard? Oh, it's got to be mustard. All right. <laughs> Chuck's a baseball okay. guy. He's a baseball guy. Yeah. Uh, I want to get back to your book for a minute. Sure. Uh, there are people in the book that um, we would know from all of our lifetimes, maybe, at least tangentially. You like that word? Tangentially. In it's a big one. Uh, Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. The whole Rat Pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. And her... Uh, Relationship with the Kennedys. Mm-hmm. Um, I just found it fascinating. The whole PT 109 event. Isn't that something? Uh, and so I had to look all this stuff up on the internet because I didn't trust you. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wow. And I, well, I just said, well, that's not the way I heard it on the news. Yeah. And it appears that some of the things that were on national news were either omitted or not told correctly. Yeah, omitted. Like, we only had one PT boat in World War II that was sunk by the uh, Japanese without a single shot being fired, mm-hmm. and that was PT-109. Yeah, they um, didn't even know it was there, and neither did neither did the crew of the boat. Correct. Uh, something fishy there. <laughs> uh, if I think it may be anybody else. It would have been some kind of dereliction of duty. Well, he was up for dereliction of duty and all kinds of other charges. And his father, who was an ambassador, intervened and actually uh, commissioned a story to be written in, um, I think it was Reader's Digest, about the heroism of PT-109. And he blitzed the country with the um, story of that heroism before the military tribunal boards could be convened, who would have court-martialed JFK for his dereliction of duty. And wow. then uh, there was uh, another uh, writing that was somewhat commissioned by Joe Kennedy that helped the president get elected. 
And that was uh, his book, was it Profiles in Courage? Profiles in Courage, um, attributed to JFK, but written by Ted Sorensen, who was um, his speechwriter when he became president. But um, And a few copies were bought by the family, just which is typical. Yeah. I'm sure your family bought a few copies of your book. Not as many as Kennedy's family did. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it went to the bestseller list yes. immediately yes. because of the number of copies that were purchased. Was it 60,000, something like that? It, there were stories about how the entire uh, basement at Hyannisport was filled with uh, boxes of unsold books that wow. Joseph had purchased. Wow. Um, it's, it's quite He's a story. He's boy. Yeah, well, you know, you go all the way back to <laughs> Joe Kennedy, and that's really where the story starts, because Joe was one of the most reviled men in America. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a Wall Street swindler. He was um, uh, a businessman who just didn't have a good grasp of morals as he uh, ran many of his um, enterprises, nor did he have a particularly good grasp on the morals of his uh, family. And he was very controversial in many of the uh, positions that he took, one of which was as ambassador to Great Britain just prior to World War II, where he was advocating that we all throw in with Hitler to eliminate the uh, Jewish scourge. Yeah. He was extremely anti-Semitic. Mm -hmm. And he was actually recalled by uh, uh, President Roosevelt, removed from office as a result of uh, Winston Churchill intervening and saying, wow. listen, we cannot throw in with Hitler. Hitler's yeah. our biggest uh, enemy. Yeah. But uh, after World War II, 15 years after the end of World War II, we now had the son of the highest ranking Nazi sympathizer in the United States government, now elected president of the United States. Mm. And Joe's ties to the mafia, uh, the promises he made to some of the um, mafia heads, at the behest of making sure that his son was um, protected uh, mm -hmm. politically. Yeah. Got enough votes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Led to many of the problems. And that's really where Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack all intertwined because they were also favorites of the uh, mob as well. And one of the, th the various themes that we kind of talk about throughout the book is um, the naivety of um, Patrick McCarthy, um, the hero of the book in understanding what was really going on. He uh, could see that John Kennedy was a flawed individual. And the book is written from the standpoint of people that hated Kennedy. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't believe he should be president. They didn't think he was qualified to be president. And then once he became president, he kept messing up. Yeah. Um, the Bay of Pigs invasion was a um, good example that had been planned under the Eisenhower administration. Mm -hmm with the help of the CIA, but as soon as Jack got into office, he decides he's going to start moving some of the plans around, which resulted in the um, Bay of Pigs fiasco and the failure of the invasion. Are you guys familiar with what that was? The, the Bay, Bay of Pigs? I remember it from high school, but I couldn't tell you exactly See, what happened. Yeah. This, is, this is what yeah. happens with history. The, um, you know, Castro had taken over Cuba, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and these uh, expatriate Cubans who had fled Cuba mm -hmm. wanted to come and take it back. Yeah. And we pledged our support. And when they hit the beaches, we were nowhere to be found. Mm. And uh, I'm sure the CIA, who was instrumental in putting this all together, was not happy with the commander in chief of the armed forces at the time. They were mm. extremely angry. Yeah. So, you know, think thoughts are that one of many um, theories on this uh, conspiracy 
was that the CIA was involved. Hmm. And we're not going to give away the whole book because it yeah. is, it, it's a long book, but I'm telling you, it goes by in a hurry. I'd recommend it highly. Where, where, where can they find the book again? Uh, it's available on Amazon. You can go to Amazon.com mm-hmm. and uh, look for Kennedy Must Be Killed by Chuck Helpy. Wow. And Kennedy Must Be Killed by Chuck Helpy. Great. I, it, I read this book probably in 2011. I've given it to various people. You know, when you see your, your sales spike, it's because I buy several copies and give I them out. I appreciate that. <laughs> and it's and it's mainly to people from from my generation because everybody's got a theory about this. And some like Scott Green. Uh, I'm not gonna worry about it. It was it was Oswald the whole way. This guy who, you know, didn't wasn't a great sniper in the military with a really crummy rifle got off four shots and hit his target hit a moving target with a bolt action crummy gun it was a miracle if that's what happened if that's what happened and it isn't Mm -hmm. (laughs) even the war the second war commission what was the second commission called that was called the house select committee on assassinations yeah, even they con- concluded there was a conspiracy and there was at least one other shooter. Enough about that. Kennedy must be killed. You can get it at Amazon.com. Uh, and uh, that's a free plug for my my good friend Chuck. And I appreciate that. Who's a, but you know, looking at their history, just like what a what a dark cloud over that family. It was. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean. Mm-hmm. Just, they, they just the the slew of issues with everything, and you know. Yep. Well, well, I I crafted the book in some ways like a Greek drama, yeah. And I also uh, used elements of Shakespeare because oh, great. there are certain elements within uh, the history of literature mm-hmm. um, that really come into play when you're trying to tell the story of the Kennedys. Yeah. Because, as you said, it was a dark cloud. It was a dark cloud. Uh, The whole way through. All the way through. Mm -hmm. uh, Going all the way back to Joe Jr. being killed in World War II. Mm -hmm. And the family persevered through all of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that the the country recognized, in many ways, the heroism of the family without really understanding the full story of the Mm -hmm. family. And as I said earlier, um, the most difficult part of the book was trying to craft a book from the standpoint of people that didn't like Kennedy and the reasons why they didn't like him. Because 90%, 95% of the books written about the Kennedys have been very, very uh, effusive in their praise for the the accomplishments of the family, almost almost like uh, hagiographies, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. biographies of, of saints. Yeah. And it's very, very hard to find uh, people that would criticize the um, mm-hmm. uh, Kennedy family. So to try to present a book that showed the motivation behind the assassination really came down to uh, four core principles that I was trying to illustrate. Uh, if you're going to remove a president because he's done something that you feel uh, concerned about, you have four options. Mm-hmm. First option is to try to vote him out. Sure. And in 1963, you're still a year away from the next election. He was still fairly popular. Mm-hmm. Second thing you do is try to get him to resign in a scandal. Mm-hmm. And that's what the death of Marilyn Monroe was tied into because yep. of the um, Kennedy family associations yep. between Jack and Bobby. Mm-hmm. That fell through uh, for various reasons I outlined in the book. Third is to impeach him. Yep. But you can't impeach a president in the middle of a Cold War. Nope. 
because if you try to do that, the Russians may have, again, gone back to that um, nuclear Pearl Harbor that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Fourth option is to assassinate him. Uh, kill him and replace him with the vice president as fast as you possibly can yeah. so that the Russians wouldn't have a chance to take advantage of that uh, lack of leadership in mm -hmm. our um, um, upper reaches of our government. And what I find fascinating is that when I went to the uh, Lyndon Johnson Library and went through the photographic archives of the uh, photographer who took the pictures in the um, plane of the swearing-in of uh, LBJ, mm -hmm. I think there were 22 or 23 uh, pictures that were taken. Everybody's familiar with the one picture where everybody's standing very solemnly, just looks devastated. Yeah. And then you look at the other 21 pictures, it's like a party going on. Yeah. Uh, LBJ's laughing, his buddies are all laughing, slapping him on the back. You're looking at something that took place roughly about an hour and a half after the death of the president. Yeah. And you would think there might be just a little bit more um, uh, gravitas. Heavy, yeah, gra uh, yeah. But it wasn't there. No. And so, I hope, Scott Green, I hope you don't read the book because it would have <laughs> ruined your impression of LBJ as the greatest president ever, uh -huh. uh, especially with all the things that I uncovered uh, regarding uh, LBJ's background. Did you guys learn a new word today? Hagiography? And it's the Greek word for saint or uh, <clears throat> sanctified one, agias. Oh, agias. And uh, that's for free. I oh, thank, thank you. <laughs> thank you, I Jess. learned that in Greek thank class. Thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, well, we, we should probably talk a little more baseball. There are a couple sure. managerial openings still. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I see that the Yankees pitching coach has uh, moved on to San Diego. Yep. And uh, the Yankees have already filled their pitching coach slot with Matt Blake, who was previously with the Indians as the assistant director of player development. And then actually he was promoted to pitching director before taking the job with the Yankees. Wow. So does it, does uh, Rothschild have enough respect around the league that a Garrett Cole, a Strasburg, a Porcello might go there? A Strasburg more than a Cole. I think Garrett Cole is dead set on the West Coast. Well, this I'd, is the West Coast. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm thinking American League. You're either probably looking at the Angels, mm -hmm. another team that could make a run at or him. Oakland. Yeah. Not Oakland, in my opinion. Seattle? I think Seattle would be an interesting team to come out as a dark horse because they don't have an ace either. No, and they started and they got, Hernandez. And they yeah. got and they got money available. Yeah. They what could they could sport John. What happened to Garrett Hernandez? Uh, King he, Felix. Yeah, he's out. Okay. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. He may return as a bullpen piece, but as of right now I believe he is a free agent. Poor King Felix. And just to make Corey happy, because he did ask me about this uh, a day or two ago, <laughs> we are now 91 days and 10 hours away from think catchers and catchers we reporting need to, get to spring training. Uh, yes. I'm feeling warmer already. Yeah. After that 10 <laughs> well, uh, talk to me. You know, I see Puig on this list of uh, players who oh. are free agents. I know, I, 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 I know I where you're going with my this. Time to Corey. I know you're going where you're going with this, and this is ridiculous. Well, my, my friend David Kaner sent me a text last night, uh -huh. or put out a, a tweet uh -huh. on the tweeter. Uh -huh. On the tweeter? That said, Puig to Detroit. Yuck. Disgusting. I would not condone this. We need a right fielder. The guy's got a cannon. Yeah, but he's got an attitude. 
Garden Hire. Maybe this just, team. Maybe this team needs an attitude because they all looked really sheepish. I was thinking this Todd Frazier. Maybe picking up Todd Frazier, putting him in third base. Why not? Okay. Would you Would you rather have Cole Calhoun or Yasiel Puig? I'd rather have a guy that doesn't lick his bat. Yeah, I'll be honest. Well, no, that the dis- little weird that quirky things. Me. It's more so just I don't know where he fits into that scheme. I mean, he literally got traded the day he got into that in t- big brawl that had nothing to do with him. Well, if you're looking for an outfielder, well, you're standing up for your teammate. Yeah, Lonnie Chisenhall is uh, available no. from the Indians, no. No. or as their announcer calls him, Lonnie Chisenhall. Chisenhall. <laughs> Uh, you got. Uh, I mean, in that case, Jason you... Castro's available. He's a catcher. Yeah. We certainly need help at that position with a we bat. Need a, we need a help at every position. But, well, I mean, let's not pick up pieces that we yeah. think well, that are going to be. That's yeah. a good point because I think we're still a number of years away from being close to a contender. So, do you really want to burn money right now on somebody that really is going to be honestly, around? I honestly think we won't spend. A lot this off season. I Next agree. off season, you know the the free agent market's going to be big again, and I think if uh, prospects show growth this year, yeah, and the younger players show growth this year, we're only a year or two away from contending again sure. in our division. Um, well, that's crazy. But personally, yeah. a name I want to look out for is Jason Kipnis. Kipnis, because he can play in the outfield. Yeah, he can play second base. He's a free agent, and it wouldn't cost him too much. No. Really? Yeah. I figured he'd be ten, twelve million. I mean, but a year, eh. but one year, twelve million. I will gladly. I would give gladly that take that over somebody like. Puig would he where come here? He may. Kipnis would play. I think he would play. I think he definitely would play here. But uh, you know, like you said, we got development. Like you know, kids are coming up, especially in the pitching area. We'll see what happens in the next Uh-oh. few years. I'm hearing the music. <laughs> No, I think that's just well, you, Jess. I guess it's time. <laughs> it's, it's time for us to go. Thank you for joining us, Chuck. Well, thanks for having me. Book's called Kennedy Must Be Killed. Get it online, Amazon.com. Thank you, Corey. Awesome as usual. Ethan, even when I disagree with you, I love you, man. Good job. <laughs> thanks in the booth. We appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks, guys. Let's play, too.